the sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker at Elkins Consulting. Today's guest I met in one of those random and wonderful ways on LinkedIn when he sent me a message and said, I think I'd be a good guest on your podcast. And all I had to do was look at his LinkedIn profile and do a little tiny bit of Google stalking to absolutely agree with that assessment. So um, I would love to introduce listeners to my new friend, AJ Kumar, and um, he's calling in from LA. So if you hear some ambient sound, it could be from there, or it could be my husband who's practicing his guitar downstairs. So listeners, hopefully you're in for a treat today. AJ, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for that great intro and thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, um, because I sent you the uh, information before you recorded this, before you scheduled this, that I love to start the conversation by asking my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know about them. And the reason I do this is that one of my friends years ago, when I was asking her about the behavior of a person that she was complaining about, I said, is this common behavior? Could it be that this is going on? And we were having this conversation. She said, it seems like you see people in multiple dimensions. And I realized that if more of us did that, we would not have so many problems in our world right now. So by sharing something about yourself that most people don't know, we get some more context about who you are and what you do and how that colors the rest of the stories that we'll hear. We're multifaceted. We are, we're really complicated. There's nothing simple about us. Even simple people aren't that simple. So, all right, so what do you think? Do you have something to share? Yeah, I'm, something that most people don't know about me is I really love solving the Rubik's Cube. I've spent so much time in the digital world working on all of this like heady stuff enjoy just playing cube and solving it and doing something like tangible just to feel more grounded i love that so it's physical it's a physical manifestation of the puzzle solving that you do technologically yeah 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 exactly so much creative stuff goes on but then when you do that logically like it's it's kind of beautiful when it all comes together so how fast are you uh, that was, that's a good question. Uh, the <laughs> fastest I've ever done it was like a minute. I'm wow. like, I, I could do it in like one minute, 30 seconds, almost always. So I always try to get myself down to like a minute. And sometimes I even work with like a, like a, a, a cuber to help me try to like learn these little small tactical things that I could do to shave off like a second or two. Wow. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a cool hobby, AJ. Yeah. That, okay. Yeah. Definitely caught me on that one. I would not have, would not have considered that about you. When did you <laughs> yeah. start on cool. that? Were you a kid when you started the Rubik's no, Cube? Actually, it's one of those things where it's like, I always seen a Rubik's Cube growing up, couldn't solve it, couldn't figure it out, like aspired to one day. And I think it was during the pandemic. At some point I got bored, walked over to Target. I was like, oh, I remember one of these. And knowing that now I live in this world where it's like you have access to everything, I I bought it and then I learned about how it works, how the algorithms work on it. And I just started realizing that there's so many, like so many parallels to the Rubik's Cube and what I do online with social media. 
so that kind of led to this really like high interest in figuring out how to solve it, which I think at first took me, took me a long time. It was like an hour plus. And then over time, I kept wanting to get that dialed in more and more and more. And ultimately I started realizing how I could start using it as an analogy for work. So that's kind of how it all came together. That's awesome. I love it. It's all about patterns. I mean, that's what algorithms are patterns, right? Exactly. Oh, that's so cool. And I love that you picked it up as an adult. I, there are some things that I looked at as a kid that I never would have considered. And then suddenly thought, well, maybe I could do that as an adult. So I love that you actually did it. Huh? Yeah. As, I, as, an, as an adult, it does like things do change. And so, like, sometimes people yearn for the younger days and so on and so forth. And at the same time, as an adult, you start to you start to understand things a little bit better. Once you, you know, some to some respect, things get easier. You start to understand things. You're not as easily influenced or affected as you are when you're younger. Right. Yeah. And, and there's a, a critical factor there in terms of when you're younger, having these, um, having the openness of saying, oh, I could, I could do that. And then as you get older, kind of losing that openness and thinking, well, I can't do that. And having the the confidence to try something that you were afraid of in the past. I think that yeah. takes a lot of courage as an adult. I mean, even picking up a Rubik's cube as an adult after never really getting it as a kid, but associating those patterns and realizing, oh, I've always been good at patterns. I just didn't see the Rubik's cube from that perspective. Yeah, like sometimes things are a mystery when you're a kid and then when you could, like when you're an adult, you just understand things a lot better. So you're like, oh, okay, it is that. And that is us, like humans, we're, we're pattern recognizing machines. So we're always looking for it. Yeah, even when it's not there, <laughs> we're looking for yeah. it. And we find it because that's what we're looking for. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, that's so cool because I was just thinking about a, a couple of things with that. One is that um, I I believe that a lot of people, especially women, struggle with math in younger years. I mean, some women, I mean, that's kind of a ridiculous generalization, but my experience has told me that math, um, basic math concepts are, they were hard for me until I was in my late 20s. And then all of a sudden I started seeing how things connected and it seemed like my brain just wasn't ready for that concept. My brain was more than ready for so many other concepts. I played the flute. I can harmonize with anything. Um, I, I had all these other skills, but for some reason that one eluded me. And it was when I was working with my two little boys, when they were in kindergarten and first grade, and then all through elementary school that all of those concepts that I struggled with were just, they just came to me so easily when I was teaching them. Mm. And so I think sometimes our brains just get through to a certain point where those neural pathways start connecting in different ways after, after um, teenage years, because mm. I know neurologically, we slough off a bunch of brain cells in the frontal cortex at around 12 to 14 years old, and they don't come back to full function until we're like in our early twenties. So it's not a surprise that that's something that happened with you that suddenly like it came clear what you needed to do to make that happen. That's so cool. I'm thinking of all these yeah. other analogies. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, it is. And like, kind of to what you're saying kind of reminds me of like, even as you grow up, like you, you know, there's all these like people call everything's trauma nowadays, like all traumatic Mm -hmm. events, like some stuff is, you know, more than others. But even as you start to um, remove the charge from things that have happened to you in the past, I feel like it frees up more energy and helps you understand things like it just hits you like things just start to make a lot more sense as you start to clear up these things that were you know limiting beliefs that are holding you back especially when it comes to like what you're talking about learning new things as an adult because I didn't go to college and I dropped out and I started noticing like as I kind of pursued you know my career and my path and I saw people that went to college and got out of college I realized that a lot of people don't like to learn after like they immediately shut their brain off. I did all my studying. I did all my school. Now I'm supposed to, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then it was just interesting because I loved learning. Like that was, a, that was a big part of what I did. Cause after I, after college, I, I eventually started working in the personal development industry. Like I was behind the scenes and calling people and at the back room of seminars and working with these people that are all older than me. And that whole industry is about learning. And being open to changes and your mindset and all these things. So it was always fascinating how all these people like eventually get stuck because of these beliefs that they they learn as as they grow up. I never thought of it that way. That is such a, a an insightful comment. Hmm. I, I guess I, I know people like that too, that once they're out of school, they they decide they're done in some way. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I mean, yeah. most of the people I know aren't like that, but I surround myself with people who love to learn. It's, um, yeah. it's a thing, right? So yeah. who so, wants to be hanging out with somebody that is done, that's static? Yeah. And yeah, that's a good way to put it. They become static. It's because they put all this and it's just the way people are, are raised and taught. Like they go to school, they put all this energy. It's so much hard work. And they're like, now I'm in the real world and the real world. I don't need to learn. I learned everything I needed to. And Right. I did my and I did this and did that, but but yeah, they don't cause... even realize they're still learning, even if they are saying they're not. I mean, every day you have to if you want to keep up with your job. In life, in general, I like I've done a lot of 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 like a variety of different training, and a lot of them have in common that like Earth is a school life as a school, like you're always learning something and you're always trying to learn something from the past, because if you don't learn stuff from the past, then you end up repeating that mistake until you learn it. Right. And then once you could learn it and extract something from it, then you move forward. Exactly. My mom said that to me when I was 18 and struggling in a job. She said, if you don't finish this out, it's just going to come back. She said, all of this is just a trial. And until you learn the lesson that the universe is putting in front of you, it's just going to keep coming back in different forms. Yeah. And, like, oh. and she's so right. <laughs> it's it's so true. I've personally seen that in like relationships, like girlfriends and having other girlfriends that were like similar to the previous ones. And then I just realized, <laughs> oh my gosh, there's a pattern, right? At some point you start <laughs> to realize like, wait a second. I feel like I went through all these emotions with the last one. <laughs> yeah. Why am I picking the same person over and over? Yeah. It's a different person, but it's the same person. Yeah. Yeah. We attract those things to draw lives. Yeah. um, Bizarre and predictable in so many ways, right? (laughs) Yeah. I 
I think in the grand scheme of things, it's because like you're still dwelling on it and then you keep attracting that just because that's what you're looking for subconsciously, right? And then it's comfortable, it's familiar. Yeah. You kind of get into that realm. Oh goodness. Well, we could go down that rabbit hole for a long time, but I'd rather not. (laughs) I'd rather talk about something. I'll talk about our exes. No. Actually, that's funny. Um, I do a job interview storytelling course and one of the things that I remind people of is uh, if you're sitting at a table, even on your first date, and you hear this person talking badly about their ex, and that's all they can talk about, do you really want a second date? Yeah. <laughs> and then the question is, are you the one doing that? Are you the one sharing? Because the stories you tell about other people say yeah. even more about who you are than they do about they about yeah. who they are. So ooh. yeah, everything, everything's ultimately a reflection that you see of yourself in some way, shape or form. Exactly. Exactly. So tell me what you do without telling me what you do. And um, what I'm thinking is, I know, I know a little bit about what you do, because I did a little, little bit of Google stalking, but our listeners don't have a clue. And I think at this point in the conversation, it's been what, 10 minutes, they're probably curious. So tell me a story about a recent experience at work that brought you great satisfaction. Okay, great. So I'll start off by giving you this analogy. So like, have you ever seen those flip books where there's a a photo on each page and then when you flip it, you start to Uh see all this motion. So imagine like on social media, you start to see somebody every single day and you don't even realize it, but you're seeing them every single day. And then over time, that version of that person that you're watching is creating this motion and this, this version of themselves in your head. So I'm essentially helping people position themselves in the minds of consumers as some sort of expert, as some sort of guru in whatever niche that they're in. So uh, recently, there's this woman I've been working with. Her name is Nikki Haskell. She's 83 years old. And yeah, so it's like she had a small social media following of like 5,000 people, 10,000 people on Instagram, 5,000 people on TikTok. And About a year later, she's now at 350,000 people on Instagram and 370,000 on on TikTok. She's getting brand deals. She's getting TV opportunities. Her whole life changed. And and that's essentially what happens when somebody starts to see you online frequently where you could control the narrative for how people perceive you. And when you do that frequently enough and it's consistent, that's how they see you. So the first thing that always changes with people that I work with is the people around them, the relationships change. And it's kind of an, it's kind of an odd thing because, you know, when you're in your 80s, people just see you as what they've always known you as. Yeah, they think they know you. They think they know you. Right. But then all of a sudden, you're this different person. You're this personality that feels like they came out of the blue. And that's the power of, of what social media could do. Somebody it could change somebody's life. It changes their relationships and relationships influence a person's entire life. Absolutely. I, I immediately thought about um, my friend, Ruben uh, Schwartz, who he uh, started Mimiron, which is a CRM for mostly for solopreneurs like me. And his, he did this referral challenge for about a week. And the first thing that we talked about was how are people introducing you? And it 
dawned on me, some of my friends, when they introduced me to people that could actually use my services, who could hire me to do keynotes on storytelling and resilience, but they're introduced to me by, oh, this is my friend, Sarah. She sings in this rock band and she has a podcast and she also does the strengths finder stuff and she does keynotes. And it's like, okay, that's not referable. Yeah. They don't know how they could hire me or how they could refer me for somebody else because those second degree connections are the ones that generally are going to give you the work. It's not your first degree connections. Yeah. So that what you're saying makes so much sense to me. The other thing that happens to those of us, especially in small towns or people who have stayed in the same area for a long period of time is my friend. I think this is a biblical quote, but I, I wouldn't know. <laughs> but my friend said when I was, I was so dis disappointed because, um, a local organization hired somebody from out of town to come into town to talk about LinkedIn. <sighs> and I started a conference based on my relationships that I've built on LinkedIn. It's seven years old now. And uh, they hired this other person. And I was like, why would you hire somebody outside that would have to travel? You have to pay for their hotel. And they're not any more qualified than I am. And my friend said, well, Sarah, you can't be a prophet in your own town. Oh, which is what you're saying about Nikki, Nikki Haskell, that all these people who thought she they knew her. I mean, she's 83. She has long relationships. They thought they knew her, but she can't be a prophet to those people as long as they continue to see her as this particular version of who she is, which could be 20 or 30, 80 years old for all we know. Yeah, exactly. And that is, that is the, that's a, like, that is the interesting part of what's happened, but at the same time, it, it makes sense. Like social media, the digital world, it augments how people perceive you in the real world, right? Like, well, but it also limits, it can seriously limit how people see you in the real world. I mean, I keep thinking about how hmm. polarized we are and mm -hmm. one post I, I can tell you from experience, I saw a post from a person that I was close with at one time that felt really anti-Semitic and I'm Jewish mm. and I'm sure she didn't know, but to me, it was like, Whoa, it immediately gave me this moment of judgment. Like, Oh, mm. this is not who I thought she was. And I suddenly was seeing her more as one dimensional, like, Oh, mm -hmm. well, this must be who she is. Yeah. I, I had to reach out to her and say, Hey, I, I don't know if you understand what this how this comes across to jewish people and she's like she was mortified mm. but if i hadn't cared enough about her to to ask anyway go on so yeah That's, social media that, augments and, personality and that and that is true and that 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 is what happens whereas most people are they only present one facet of themselves or a one-dimensional version of themselves because that's the nature of what you're looking at you have this piece of hardware with a screen on it and you're just scrolling through people and most people are just the same as other people so if you're somebody that wants to differentiate if you're somebody that wants to pop from that and give the viewer this experience you do have to incorporate these strategies into how you um, develop your personality and how you showcase your gifts your value to people Right. Otherwise they will take you with whatever one thing that you said, or just, you know, one facet of what they're looking at, but it's mm -hmm. true. So in the sense that social media has augmented what 
how people will perceive you in real life. And it's because for the last 10 or so years, 10, 15 years, as the smartphone went into the market, as more people adopted it, now there's billions of people that are that are connected through it. Most people just thought social media and the internet was a novelty, right? Like it was cool, it's pretty, it's fun, whatever, different. But then as the pandemic, as the pandemic happened, it got everybody, it got everybody to shift. And the way from my perspective, because I feel like I've been in the digital world, I feel like I'm a digital native as opposed to a lot of people that are foreigners, right? Like they're in the physical world first and then the pandemic, they kind of fell into the digital world. And then they realized everything's connected in the digital world. And now everybody's trying to build their internet business, their personal brand. And now they're trying to find their footing. So that, that's becoming a lot more prominent. More people are starting to understand that. And there's this, there's this new field, like there's this field that's, that's um that's coming out of attention economics right like we're in this attention economy and then as of recently like in the past decade as, as social media platforms came about there's this creator economy that those births in it and this creator economy is just the interconnectivity of everybody on social media that are as a guy named gary vaynerchuk says they're day trading attention mm -hmm. mm. Yeah, that kind of makes me vomit a little in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, because I, I see so much of the, I see the beauty in it for sure. It's how I have relationships all over the world. Um, thanks mostly to LinkedIn, but I, I see also the really downside, especially for people who are so craving that attention and they don't get it and how what that does to their psyche or they get it in really negative ways just to get any of it, just like kids will misbehave just to get attention. Um, I see that so much too. So when you think about your clients, what, what do you do to make sure that they are presenting their, their true self and not just their best self? Do you, is that part of what you do? Yeah. Like when I have relations, like, my clients, I have like these special relationships with them because I, I, I get a deep understanding of who they are, right? Like it's not about presenting just a random version of themselves. These are people that are adults. Typically my clients are like 40 plus all the way to 80. And they're just at a different place in life to where they don't necessarily need to just put a front of who they are. They want to be themselves. They want to be comfortable. They want to be like a real version. So interesting to what you were just saying, how some people, um, they, they get attention in negative ways. What's interesting is like, I have Gen Z, um, professionals on my team. And I noticed as TikTok became more popular and as people were posting more content, they were having, having these awakenings, realizing that a lot of the stuff online is fake. A lot of the people that they're following are, are fake and people are facilitating, conversations that aren't real and it kind of just gets you to wonder like what's real what's not and the 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 lines of reality and fantasy are blurred right an example of that would be a guy like logan paul logan paul got in a lot of trouble he got canceled because of the stuff that he did i don't know if you're familiar with logan paul no i'm not so logan paul is like a really really popular youtuber currently he is one of the founders of a of a company called prime which is a um, an energy drink slash a hydration drink that's 
about to be worth a billion plus dollars. Like he's one of the top's most successful creators, right? He got in trouble, I think five, six, seven, or eight years ago because he went to Japan and he went to something called the suicide forest and he filmed there. And it was so disrespectful. It was so terrible. Like YouTube wanted to kick him out. It's a really negative image for him. And then over time, he was able to revamp his career. Now he's on WWE, one of the largest entertainment platforms in the world. He also boxes and he has his hydration drink. So I'm sharing this because WWE isn't real wrestling. It's fake wrestling. Boxing is supposed to be real, but when you see him and you see how vast and large he is and the million, hundreds of millions of views that he's getting, it's blurred. You can't tell what's real and what's fake. And that's, it could be of a concern. People could use that negatively. It's hard to say. It's kind of like any tool. Somebody could use it to build a house or knock someone over the head with it. I think that's the place we're at now in society where it's like, how are you wielding this attention that you're getting? Are you using it to harm people? Are you using it to help people? That's why for me, as I've become, as I'm growing and learning more about myself and, and my company and what I want to offer and, and share with the world, I started getting more clear on, okay, I want to help people not just build brands, but I want to build human healing brands. It's like, okay, what does that mean? Human healing brands. What I mean by that is I know from like right now, I've all, I have like 10 or so clients. I'm small and I'm growing, but our clients across the board, we're reaching tens of millions of people every month. So it's like, I consider myself as this little tiny network that's, that's growing and tens of millions of people a month, we're impacting them. I see it. I see them, right? I see people that were transforming and changing their lives. And I see people that like laugh at our stuff. And that's what I mean is when you're creating content, when you're building a brand that gets people to laugh, that gets people to learn something that gets people to feel inspired. That to me is a form of healing. And for me, I want to do that at a mass, mass scale, where if I'm hitting, if I'm impacting 10, 15, 20 million people a month now, what if I could reach a hundred million people a month or a billion people a month, right? That to me is like, that's how I can make a positive impact. That's awesome. That just takes me back to um, one of your early jobs as being behind the scenes at those um, self-help conferences and being the one making the discovery calls with potential coaching clients for whoever it is that you're talking about, just being that foundational support for change. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was 17, I was 17, 18. I was working at a company called the Mike Furrier organization, which is a niche in personal development for real estate professionals. And it's like, you know, 17, 18, talking to people that were in the 40s, 50s, talking about mindset, talking about believing in yourself, talking about helping their family, right? Like I was a salesperson. But right. over time, like, you know, for me, I want, if I'm selling something, I got to believe in it. So right. you have to kind of, you know, drink your own Kool-Aid and believe in what <laughs> it is that you're doing so that you're congruent with what it is that you're selling. For sure. You have to be in alignment. That's um, my friend, Chris Spurvey wrote a book called it's time to sell. And it's the only book I've ever read about being a salesperson, except for the go-giver Bob Berg. And yeah. I always forget his co-author. 
um, I got to interview Bob Berg on my podcast a couple of years ago. It was amazing. But oh, that's cool. Yeah. So the Go-Giver and this book, It's Time to Sell, are the two that I read. And what really resonated with me was this whole idea of making sure that when that you're not trying to sell somebody something, you're trying to solve a problem for them, understanding what that problem is. And now when I am on a discovery call, like I, I did a discovery call yesterday with an engineering team, mostly I wanted to know what the problem was they wanted to solve to make sure that I was the right person to solve it. And um, that's what I hear you saying is that it's it's more important to know that the the problem these people want to solve is a problem that you agree needs to be solved so that you can help them be that that face to that resolution or that solution that they have. Yeah, like one thing that one thing exactly one thing that stuck out to me from all these years is it's not about you. It's about the person in front of you. Right. And then when you start thinking about it that way, you get out of your own head, you get out of your own body and you realize like, okay, how could I help this person? Like I'm in marketing. Marketing comes down to solving problems, whether it's through content that people are watching for free or products people are buying. It's all about understanding people's problems, trying to be in their shoes as best as you can, and then helping them solve it. Mm. I love that. I'm like, my brain is ticking away all the ideas <laughs> about how to apply that. That's, that's so good. So as we come full circle back to this whole idea of, um, well, the Rubik's cube, continual learning, when you think about, um, I don't know, the next client or a client a few years from now, if you're still doing the same thing or something similar, what is the story that you want them to tell about you? The future, what the story I want to tell about the future client or that well, I want no. the future client to tell about me to others. Exactly, exactly. That they are somebody that have this powerful message that they wanted to share with people and they couldn't figure out how to get their voice heard in this, you know, abyss of social media. And I help, I came into the picture and helped alleviate all of that problem and help them do it. Good story. I think we could go into more detail in the future. I, I agree with you. <laughs> I agree. Well, I think about that a lot because I know that the work you do, the work I do, the work that a lot of my friends do um, has the potential for major ripple effects. So for instance, I just had um, a, a, another podcast recording earlier, and I know that just by asking the questions I was asking, this man is now going to reconsider certain things about what he's doing in, in, a, in the best possible ways and consider the stories that he's telling and why he's telling them. And then when he shares these stories, he's going to inspire others to share their stories back with him hmm. because that's the power is when, when I share a short story that demonstrates something about myself or about what I care about, your memories are going to start flooding. Oh yeah. I have a story. That's a lot like that. And it's, it's impossible not to do that, to have yeah. somebody tell a story and you're like, Oh, I have one just like it or something that will totally yeah. complement what you're talking about. And the ripple effect is that he's going to be listening to his kids differently. He's going to be listening to his spouse differently. He's going to be listening to his employees differently. 
And those employees are then going to go home and listen to their kids and spouse differently or their partners or even and maybe their mother, which I would love <laughs> for my kids to listen to me differently. <laughs> but just that that potential for impact is it just ripples. And when you think about your future and a client saying, um, my message was to love one another and this is how I wanted to share it. And this is my story. And AJ helped me not only clarify that message, but he helped me share it to such a broad audience that I am seeing a difference in my community. I love that. I'm going to take that. All right. You take it. It's for you. It's all yours. Thank you. AJ, this, <laughs> well, it's my pleasure to give it to you. I know that um, you have this love for sharing positive messages of kindness, of peace, of love. And uh, I definitely, I applaud you for that, sticking to that mission. Thank you. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I feel like it's natural, like everyone, you know, for everyone to be kind and, and, and whatnot. I wouldn't say I'm perfect, just like anybody else isn't. But at the end of the day, like, I think we live in a really interesting time that's different from what most people, how most people saw the world. And with AI, with technology, I feel like there's so many possibilities for people to live that dream. Like even as adult, because I got, I was a guy that really wasn't creative. I desperately wanted to be, it was something I wanted so bad. I would read books and, and try to like understand like how do you be creative how do you be creative and it's in like even as growing up i realized like oh like when you're an adult like it's just not as fun it's, you're not as creative you got to just go into the mo monotony of life but then the field that i kind of got myself into working with people on video camera and where i see it's kind of like the the merging of entertainment marketing and advertising right and it's like a lot of the clients that I that I work with, they're successful, they're powerful. And then when they're in front of the camera, they get to be playful and, and fun and interesting. And I like that. I like being able to see adults like be more playful because they don't get to do that, you know, because they forgot that as a kid or, you know what I mean? I do. I definitely do. And um, I would like to turn this around for you and say that what you are creative in doing is not a paper and pen. It's not clay. It maybe it's not paint or an instrument, but clearly you are creative and innovative and you're doing interesting things. It just doesn't look like creativity as, um, as we see it as artists, right? Yeah. Um, so I would love for you to start looking at the evidence of your life of how you have been creative versus how you haven't. Because uh, I promise you will find miles of evidence, pounds of evidence of <laughs> stories where you were creative, where you found a creative solution to a problem that no one else had considered because that's creative. And I'd encourage you to follow Dr. Caroline Brookfield, hmm. who talks about everyday creativity and her book, um, The Reluctant Creative. Hmm. is a fantastic study of different kinds of creativity. And she has a whole 
um, acronym dance about how to unlock your creative self. So highly recommend her. So for our listeners, you can find AJ's links to his website and all his social in the show notes associated with this podcast at elkinsconsulting.com. And we will also include the link to Caroline Brookfield's Instagram page and her book, The Reluctant Creative, because I know you're not the only one that struggles with thinking of himself as creative. Many of us in the world struggle with that idea. Awesome. Yeah. That's, I mean, I, I agree with you on that concept. Like looking back, I like what you're saying as, as you're talking about this, I could see how a lot of my, like looking at my past memories was at the non-creative parts. But if I actually just sat there and thought about like, Oh, think about times where you were creative. I bet I could find a ton. You could find a ton. Do you like to cook? I don't like to cook. I like being cooked for. I like <laughs> for me i like people you i like, like to people. eat <laughs> i love to eat because I, I work like i work with people in the nutrition space and chefs and stuff like that so so i i love the creativity that goes into cooking especially like i created this concept before i never i haven't really flushed it out yet but it was it was one time i had this um it was this brownie made of black bean black bean uh flour versus yes. regular flour it was like a healthier brownie vegan <laughs> so good it was amazing and that like it made me think about in my mind like wait you could probably take any recipe and make a healthier version of it so i call it a recipe remix which is just the idea of, of swapping ingredients with alternatives there's like this book called the flavor bible and there's all these all these different textures and tastes so i really respect people that are able to make food healthier and actually taste good right whereas mm -hmm. like 10, 15, 20 years ago, healthy food didn't really, you know, it was, it was whatever. It was cardboard or whatever. But right. now people are making all sorts of things that are absolutely delicious. And I think that's incredible. Well, the fact that your brain just went to, oh, I bet you could use black bean flour in a lot of different ingredients or in a lot of different <laughs> recipes, like that's creative, right? Even yeah. if you're not going to actually do it, just having the idea of coming, having that light bulb moment, oh, I bet this could be used in all kinds of recipes. That's creative. And that's actually one of the parts of Caroline's book is thinking uh, like that and recognizing it, recognizing it as being creative, having yeah. ideas. And I mean, it's, it sounds like she's probably going to say that it's like a muscle. So it's like you keep doing it over <laughs> and over again and get stronger. Probably. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> those exact words, but it's likely. She's she's an amazing woman. So yeah. um AJ, this has been such a treat. I'm so glad you reached out to me on LinkedIn. Thank you for doing that. And thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me. This is, this is, a, this is a pleasure. So listeners, now it's your turn. What will you take on as an adult to help you process information in a way that's different from how you're doing it now? AJ decided to pick up a Rubik's Cube and was able to figure out all kinds of analogies for his work by just playing with a Rubik's cube. For me, um, I like to go on a hike. I always find that because I have such cerebral work, sometimes I need to just get outside and allow my brain a little time to focus on something outside of myself in nature. So what will you do? And how will you find your creativity within that puzzle or that hike, or maybe it's a snuggle with a pup? 
whatever it is, find it, find your analogy for happiness at work and at home. And I hope to hear from you in comments and messages on LinkedIn and via my website, elkinsconsulting.com. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life is still worthwhile if you just smile.